For those of you who might not know me, my name is Ken Garland. I'm an elder here at Peninsula Community Church, and I have a very distinct privilege this morning to introduce to you a very good friend. Um, most of you who know me know that for 15 years until 2002, I taught at Biola University in Talbot uh, Seminary. And uh, one of the students, in fact, he was a fellow student of my son, Andrew, who will be preaching here next Sunday, and I will be preaching at Andrew's church in Huntington Beach. Uh, he does that because he doesn't have to pay me. And, uh, uh, but a fellow student with my son, Andrew, was named Bill Stafiri. Um, and a few years ago, I, I was privileged to sit on the search committee for a youth pastor for us here at Peninsula Community Church. And we had, I don't know, eight or 10 or 15 resumes from uh, men and women all over the country. And about the third resume down in my stack was a resume uh, from Andrew Stafiri. And that last name grabbed me. And I said, and he was from uh, Orange County, which is where Bill's church is. And I said, if this is Bill Stafiri's son, then I'm done searching. This is the guy we want. Well, he has been, hasn't he? Andrew has done a remarkable job for us, Bill under extremely difficult circumstances as a pastor you know. And for two years, youth group couldn't meet. Uh, and somehow, Andrew has kept things together and we love him dearly. And uh, Bill and his wife Kim, who couldn't be with him today, are responsible for giving birth to Andrew. And so I guess we should say thank you. <laughs> Bill. Come and share the word of God with us. We're delighted to have you this morning. Yes, I am uh, Andrew's dad, which now solves the mystery of where Andrew gets his larger than life head. Uh, so <laughs> those of you who are wondering uh, where that comes from, of course, uh, we, Kim and I, we pray for you uh, all the time. Uh, there's probably no church I pray for more than PCC other than Beach Point, uh, where I, I'm the pastor at. You know, I, it's funny because I was, I was a youth pastor and I was in the Master of Divinity program at uh, Talbot and Ken Garland came to me and said, I'm, I'm uh, developing a brand new program, a Master of Arts in Youth Ministry. I think you'd be perfect for it. And I said, awesome. Now I'll never have to be a senior pastor. They're the worst. And so I've Somehow the Lord has kind of found that funny. I've been, uh, this is my 14th year being a senior pastor after being a youth pastor. And uh, uh, every Sunday, uh, I, I drive down PCH uh, down by our house and it's just a time to pray. And, and as I'm traveling north on PCH, it's really easy to kind of see the point here and pray for you and pray for Jim and pray for the staff and uh, just be thinking about you. I'm, I'm so thankful, obviously, 
uh, beyond uh, Andrew getting to be at a great church where Ken's at. Jim's an amazing pastor, but we got Katie out of the whole thing, and uh, that is a huge win uh, for us. We, we love that. Uh, I've been listening to messages that Andrew and Jim have been given. You guys have been going through a uh, a thick study. Romans is not an easy book to work your way through, and you guys have been doing it backwards on top of that, and I know part of that is to kind of grab a bigger context of what, what is happening in that book, and uh, uh, today we're going to be uh, continuing in that. We're kind of basically right smack in the middle. We're going to look at, at Romans 8 in a moment, and one of the things that you're going to see is, is the freedom that comes in our lives now because of what Christ has done, and all of us value freedom. Uh, think of the story, maybe you've heard this, of Booker T. Washington. As a child, he awoke every morning to a rooster crowing. And that rooster was kind of symbolic of his family's plight as slaves. Every day started early, every day ended late, every day was filled with backbreaking work. But after the Emancipation Proclamation was given, uh, Washington's family gained their freedom from slavery. That first morning of being former slaves, the rooster crowed, and his mom hunted it down with an axe and uh, made it for lunch uh, that day. Uh, it was going to be a symbol to them uh, that, that, that that day was over. They were free. They were free to live. Uh, that silence was a memorial to this new life of freedom. Author Max Licato says this uh, similarly. He says, uh, Jesus silenced the deadly power of sin when he marched victoriously out of the rocky mausoleum before the sun rose on that very first Easter morning. Uh, real freedom is ours in Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from evil, freedom from hell. Uh, what he has accomplished for us, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let me give you a big idea of what we're going to see today. Is that uh, I want you to see how the Spirit of God frees us from destruction and leads us into life. That the Spirit frees us from destruction and leads us into life. Uh, left to ourselves, left to our own strength, uh, well, you and I are going to find that our flesh will take us and lead us into places of pain. It will lead us into places where uh, there's death. But as we learn to walk now in the Spirit, the Spirit gives life, and the Spirit leads us into life. Uh, when you put your faith in Jesus, uh, faith certainly begins with a decision um, but that, and that, that decision to follow Jesus. But that, that, that life in the Spirit, that moment where, where uh, your sin is washed away and you're filled with the Spirit, that moment you, you now live day by day, presently active, by faith. Uh, faith, uh, we continue to walk in the Spirit. We continue to, to notice the way that the Spirit is leading us. So what we're going to try to get to a place of understanding is how each day for you is a day of renewal, as the Spirit is working in your life, and it's a day of adventure, a day in which uh, we, we begin to follow the Spirit's promptings of where uh, the Lord wants to take us. The Spirit is always leading us into life, life that is for you and life that is for someone else. And so uh, let me invite you to turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. Uh, you could easily spend the next month, and maybe you will, uh, on just this chapter uh, I'm going to take you through verses 1 through 11, and Jim can decide what he wants to do with the rest of it. Uh, but this is thick. This is uh, uh, thick, thick stuff uh, for us to be able to look at together. And I want us to stay focused on this big idea that the Spirit of God is leading us into life. 
Uh, we want to see this way that life is given to us. We want to see the way that we, we can, as we walk in the Spirit, we can learn to avoid the destructive tendencies of walking in our own strength or walking in our own tendencies or walking in what uh, the Bible called the flesh, our, our kind of humanness. Uh, we want to see instead how, how do we embrace life and love as we follow the Spirit. And so let's uh, read these first 11 verses and we'll kind of pick them apart a little bit. It says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind that's governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Now this is a powerful uh, chapter uh, there's so much in it, and verse 1 begins with very, very powerful words, and, and first words can set a tone. Uh, my, my pastor uh, that I, I worked for uh, previously, he says this about, uh, I remember him saying this about uh, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, this is the greatest verse and the greatest chapter of the greatest book of the Bible. I mean, it's full. These first words set a tone, right? And first words will set a tone. Imagine you show up at a doctor's office to pick up your husband who has a routine surgery, and the doctor greets you with these words. We lost him. And you're like, wait, what? I just brought him in to have gallstones removed. He goes, oh, no, no, he's okay. We just don't know where he is. We think he might be down in the cafeteria. <laughs> you're like, okay, choose your words carefully. Now, Paul has chosen careful words. These are strong words. Think about this. There's, there, this is an amen. This is a hallelujah. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. These are powerful words. Verse, uh, uh, you may have seen this. You'll see this a number of times in Paul's writing, this idea of therefore. I'm guessing Jim has probably said this corny line before to you, but anytime you see the word therefore, you try to figure out what is therefore, therefore. Uh, and so it's always looking back it's always trying to see. And so what you saw in, in uh, chapter 7 was that we're in a tough place. If led by our flesh, if stuck in our flesh, if trying to live by the law, uh, we're going to find ourselves feeling devoured. Uh, we're going to feel ourselves being consumed. Uh, verses 14 uh, from last week, as you uh, saw in chapter 7, 14 and 15, uh, 
we just find ourselves saying, I, I keep doing the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I know I should do. Now, verses 21 and 25, the idea, he says that I, I, being a slave to sin, subject to death because of sin. And there's a judgment against us. Because of our sin, we're liable. We're, we have to pay the debt. It doesn't matter if you get Bruce McGregor to be your defense attorney. You're not getting out of this. We're stuck. And then it has this great kind of ending that, but, but Jesus has stepped in for us. There's this beautiful thing that we see. See, this idea of being consumed by sin and death, is, it, it, it can be very overwhelming to us. Uh, uh, our family uh, had, a, had a dream and a goal to uh, be licensed as scuba divers, and we finished this a couple years ago. And uh, one of the dives I got to do last fall was a dive off of Coronado Island, uh, off of San Diego, these little islands there, uh, with a dive with sea lions. I think we got a picture there. So I, we, we, we would uh, come off the boat, we kind of swim to the, uh, the edge of the island, and there was, I mean, it was like a playground of puppies. Uh, all these pups, all these sea lion pups would kind of jump off and jump around. You'd be swirling around. There'd be like 10, 15 sea lions just swirling around you, and it was a lot of fun and exciting. It was a little intimidating at first, and, and I, I, the, the closest I ever felt to being devoured, I think we have a little video. This is the closest I ever felt to being devoured when one uh, sea lion pup came after me in a very cute way. Kind of gave me a little bite of my camera. And I was, I was kind of taken by this. But then it, right after this happened, there was, there's all these pups. They're jumping in. They're swimming around. And all of a sudden, I capture the, at the corner of my eye this giant shadow coming in. And it was this, it was the dad. It must have been 800 pounds. And it just trucking, just nice and slow across. It was, I was just like, whoa, when you see something 800 pounds under the water, you, you flinch if you're new like me at, at scuba diving. And so I flinch and I just kind of tried to sit as, as still as possible. It just kind of makes sure all the kids are behaving. And it went, went by. And in that moment, uh, there's this picture, as you see right here. I took a moment and I just thought, wow, what's around me? What's behind? I took a second, and if you just think, this is my friend took a picture of me. I have this little sea lion come up to me, but if you look straight behind me, it's just an abyss of blue. And I turned around, and I just kind of looked, and I just saw all the blue, all the ocean, all this space, and then it, the thought entered my mind. Be, I don't know what's coming behind me, and I'm playing with shark bait. And all of a sudden, I had this sense of, I won't see, just like I didn't see this big dad, I will not see what is about to devour me coming for me. I have no chance. And so I started having this little kind of panic under the water of, I, I don't like this idea of my back being to nothing uh, while I'm facing a bunch of uh, sea lions. And so I remembered what my, my uh, scuba instructor said. She said, don't worry. From behind, they're, they're just going to bite onto your tank, and they're going to get metal, and they'll go away. Um, that's not a comforting thought. There's nothing <laughs> comforting. So there's this little, I don't know if you can see, there's like this little ledge that I'm sitting on, or kind of like leaning on. And so I'm leaning on this ledge like this, and all of a sudden, I, I, that fear of being devoured, I was trying to pull my arms and legs in as much as possible and trying to float like this and try to, like you've already heard the story, you don't have to be faster than a grizzly bear. You just have to be faster than your friend, right? And so I looked at the other five people I was diving with and, and looked at our, and tried to get just a little in front of them. 
So if anything did come, I was like the third choice. <laughs> that feeling of being devoured by something that is beyond you, something too big for you to conquer, that's an overwhelming feeling. Now, my guess is you're not going to be worrying tomorrow about being devoured by a shark. Uh, but you may feel, in your spiritual life, you may feel that, that feeling that you're being devoured by temptation or by your spiritual struggles or failings. You may feel in some ways that, ah, I just don't feel like my life with God is moving forward the way it's, it's meant to, and you feel the sense of being trapped. You're, you feel afraid. You feel overwhelmed. You feel alone. Well, Paul turns this feeling of chapter 7 all around to this feeling of victory. You have been rescued. There's this whole idea that, this idea that there's no condemnation for those whose lives are found in Jesus Christ. And when he says no, there's no condemnation, he's not saying right now, this moment. He's saying no more. That, that it's been done once, and, and it's done. You are rescued. You are free. You hear the words as, as we see in the scriptures that, that you've, been, you've been freed from this. Uh, the, uh, the sense of hearing these words, not guilty. You are never again to be condemned. So let me give you a couple things that, that, we, that we, I want you to think about as we look at this. One is this. Notice that we are freed from sin and death. We're freed from sin and death. This idea of being no condemnation is similar to what Paul said in chapter 5, verse 1, that, there, that we've been justified, that we've been made right, we've been declared innocent. We are right. We can stand before God, secure in our salvation. Uh, th there's something very powerful of this. Uh, what we sung, these are true. We have before God clean hands, pure hearts. That's how God sees us. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, remember it said this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, by faith, we've made peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. This was not something we did. It was something that Jesus has done for us, something that God has done for us in his Son. And because of faith, Christ has brought us in this place of amazing privilege undeserved privilege we now stand confidently joyfully we look forward to sharing in the glory of god we see uh, this isn't my own doing i can't save myself when we turn to jesus in faith we are free from sin's power we are free from death you are declared not guilty now and forever these are this is a powerful powerful idea to begin this chapter with but one of the things that we begin to see is how this was made possible we second are freed uh, by the work of christ we're freed by the work of christ the the idea that um the song you just sung that god is madly in love with you is not just a poetic songwriter's attempt at kind of giving you the the, the warm kind of fuzzies i mean this is this is romans 8 uh, sometimes people look strangely at us because we worship God. Why would you, why would you try to obey this like, very strict taskmaster? And you and I, when we hear that kind of sentiment, we know, oh, 
you don't quite understand, do you, that what we call the gospel, the good news, what God has done for us in Jesus. Now think about what, what uh, Paul is trying to say. We, we were that bad. So bad that it would make perfect sense for God to give up on us. I mean, be, be honest with yourself. Have you canceled anything or anyone in the last couple of years? Um, intentionally or unintentionally? Have you just said, I just don't need this in my life anymore? Too much heartache, too much, too much stress. You block someone on Facebook, you just stop listening to certain uh, radio state or, you know, listen, whatever it is, podcasts. Isn't it amazing that God did not give up on us? When everything in us rebels, wants to rebel against him and do it ourselves, our own way, God does not give up on us. He is madly in love with you. The only thing that makes sense is God, God does this because he wants to share himself with us. He wants to share his glory. He wants to share his life. He wants to share his love all throughout eternity with us. This freedom that you have is because of something God did for you. He did it through his son, Jesus. He sent his son, he says. His son becomes this likeness of, of us and, and becomes the sacrifice. We have a problem we can't solve. And so God solves it for us, himself. I mean, it's just incredible. And, and when you begin to be, think about this, you start to realize why we worship the God that we worship. Why do we worship the Lord that we worship? God judged our sins in the sinless humanity of his son who bore him in our place. No condemnation, even though we totally deserve it, not because of something we did, but because of something Jesus has done for us. Think about communion. I think you take it next week. Think as you come together in a time of communion. The bread reminds you of a body that was broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. As the cup is passed, you, you hear Christ's words to you. This is my blood being poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a reminder that Jesus willingly offers himself on our behalf. And when we begin to understand this better and better, it begins to give us this power in life. We're, we're moved to worship and we're moved to a desire to walk in the power of God, to walk in the power of his spirit, to live holy lives, to live lives that please him. We're not living lives to please him so that he will love us. We are living lives to please him because he has so richly loved us. I want us to see this, this last point that we are free to live in the spirit. We're free to live now in the spirit I love this story because I think for, for many of us, we uh, might find ourselves, especially at the end of a busy summer, finding that we're somehow missing out on living within the power that is available to us. Uh, years ago, Bill Bright, um, guy who founded uh, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, he told this story about this uh, uh, oil field called uh, Yates Pool. During the Depression, the field was owned by a sheep, uh, uh, it was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. And Mr. Yates uh, 
wasn't able to make enough money herding sheep, and so he had to live on government subsidy every uh, week, every month, just trying to figure out how he was going to survive. Then one day, uh, a group of uh, seismologists came to him and said, we think there might be oil on your land. And so he gave them permission to drill a wildcat well. He signed a lease and a contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells, uh, more than twice that size, were found as well. 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed that it still had the potential of 125,000 barrels a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and mineral rights, yet he'd been living on relief. He'd been living on subsidy. He'd been thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it today. A potential multimillionaire living in poverty. He didn't know the oil was there. He didn't know that he owned it. And for us, many Christians, we, we don't live in the power of Romans 8. Yet we're living really in spiritual poverty. That there's this, this sentiment that you are now, you, you aren't someone controlled by the flesh any longer. You're someone who's filled with the Spirit. If you come to Jesus in faith, if you, you've committed yourself to Jesus Christ, you've, you've uh, surrendered your life to him, you've been washed away of your, all your sin has been washed away, and in its place you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a birthright. You have a power to live by. And what we begin to understand with this is that we're not just freed from something, we're freed for something. A power lives in us, a potential to live a life that is led by God through his spirit who dwells through us through faith. A life that's animated, sustained, directed, enriched as we are filled by the spirit and live by the spirit. The the idea of the flesh is not this kind of like soft, uh, muscle tissue. It's this idea of, of, of our humanness. In, in our, left in our humanness, we're, it's corrupt, it's unredeemed, it's fallen, kind of our human nature. Sin dominates us. But now in the spirit, not a human spirit, but the sense of God's spirit that now, the, the personal Holy Spirit of God, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. The spirit now dwells within you. That we have the potential to live differently, to live by the Spirit, to set our minds on what the Spirit desires. Paul says we now have an ability to set our minds on things that the Spirit wants instead of what the flesh wants. To set your mind on things means um, what are you absorbing? What are the objects of your thought, the affections of your life, the purposes that you're living by? What preoccupies you? What ambitions drive you? What concerns engross you? How we desire to spend our time, our energy, what we concentrate on and give ourselves to. What are you setting your mind on? One of the reasons why our Christian life uh, in seasons lacks power is that we are not allowing ourselves to be led by the Spirit. 
we're still operating in poverty. We're still trying to survive with government subsidies. We're still trying to get by instead of understand there's a power that is available to us. Our mindset matters. When you're controlled by the flesh, death. But when you're controlled by the spirit, freedom in life. Peace, alive to God, alive to the spiritual realities around us. Without the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is impossible. We set our minds on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows us what is, what is beautiful, what is powerful, uh, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. And we learn, as Paul says, we learn to walk in step with the Spirit. We learn to, to stay with the Spirit and move at the Spirit's pace in our life. When we become preoccupied with these things, engrossed by these things, when the, the, the things of the Spirit captivate our imagination, you will begin to see how God is leading you into freedom and leading you to bring others into freedom. The more we walk in the Spirit to lead us and let the Spirit lead us, the more we'll let our hearts be engulfed by the beauty of God. What, what are you setting your mind on? What are you consuming? What is filling you? There's a funny story, uh, 1999, a doctor in England uh, treated a five-year-old girl because she had discoloration of her face and her hands. They discovered that she was drinking about 1.5 liters of Sunny Delight every day. Sunny D, anybody Sunny D fans, right? You like that? And what they discovered is she just was drinking so much of this, uh, you get a lot of vitamin A, beta carotene, uh, that she basically uh, became... Uh, got this kind of orange hue, this orange tint to her skin because of all the beta-carotene that she was having. They discovered, of course, it wasn't, uh, she, she wasn't in any threat, but they, they encouraged her to maybe balance things out a little bit better. Uh, but isn't it interesting, uh, think about this, we reflect what we consume. We reflect what we consume. What are you consuming? I think as we look at this passage, there are, um, there are a couple ways that we can think about responding to it. First is this, receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. I, I, I will just say, um, I, don't, I know a few of you, I don't know a lot of you, and my guess is in a room this size, and those of you guys who are watching online, um, perhaps there are some of you here, maybe there's a few of you here, who maybe have never, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. You come to church, or you're watching online, but have you surrendered yourself to Jesus? Have you come to him recognizing sin in your life and to say, Lord, forgive me. Wash away my sin and fill me with your spirit. I choose to follow you. I choose to put my faith in you. I am going to trust you now and forever. You, I trust you for my salvation, and I trust you for my life. You become not just the Savior of my life, become the Lord of my life. Paul's very clear that if you, if you are not willing to, to come to Christ in this way, you don't have the spirit. So to receive the Spirit, you have to be willing to surrender your life to God in this way, to, to uh, invite Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life. In a moment, we'll pray. 
And I want to encourage you this morning, right where you are, um, that can be yours. I mean, what a gift God is offering to us, right? His life, his power, his freedom now and forever. God, who is madly in love with you, is, is whispering into your, your life. When I was 15, church was all new to me. Didn't grow up in a church home. Uh, got invited to a, uh, a youth group and then a camp. I remember at 15, hearing this invitation, that it was the strangest thing in my heart. Bill, will you follow me? And I'm kind of looking around like, who's talking to me? And, and knowing in some ways, this is the thing that I just never um, fail to get tired of seeing in the Bible. That the, the, the God of heaven and earth, the, the creator of heaven and earth, sees and loves ordinary people. How, how in the world does the creator of heaven and earth look at a 15-year-old kid who has no idea really much about him and whisper into his heart, Bill, come with me. Will you follow me? I know you feel alone, but I will lead you into life. And I walked up this little chapel uh, up in Thousand Pines camp, knelt at the front. I, all I can tell you is, I don't know how to explain it other than my life has never been the same. Receive the Spirit. This is where you are today. I want, I want to encourage you to reach out. Reach out to Pastor Bruce after the service. Uh, connect with someone on staff. Connect with uh, Ken or one of the elders. But, but maybe for some of us too, there's a sense that uh, we, we have to figure out how to live in the Spirit's power. We need to live in the Spirit's power. We have the Spirit in us. We're just not sure how to live in the power. We just haven't lived in the power lately. Uh, sometimes it's important for us to learn how to change gears. Uh, years ago, uh, uh, my uh, good friend Caesar took me, uh, he, he asked me to go to this place. They were test driving all the, I guess, uh, Chevy GM cars. And it was, he's like, this is going to be really fun. So we went to the, the Marine base out in uh, El Toro, and they put us in these different, I, I got to, uh, one of the cars I got to drive was the new Corvette at the time. And so you sit in the Corvette, and there's this big open space, and there's a guy sitting next to you, and he says, okay, look, I'm going to tell you when to, when I say go, I want you to hit the gas as, as, just all the way down. And when I say now, shift gears, now shift gears, now shift gears. And so I was like, all right. And I just kind of, one of those, I drove a 1981 uh, Volkswagen Rabbit diesel, so I didn't understand muscle cars. Um, I, I did not drive like really cool cars all my life. I sat in that car and he goes, ready? Three, two, one, now. And I hit the gas and I'll tell you, those of you who like fast cars, I get it. I get, I, it was like, I was going, I don't know, I, I, when we hit about 100 miles an hour, I was just like, this is really fun. Like, I totally get it. Like, this is super fun. As fun as it was going 30, it was exhilarating going 90, 100. 
And maybe some of us, that's exactly where we are. We have to learn how to change gears to live in this. There's a power that is available to you to live in the power. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. It is not there. There is no such thing. And so we turn our attention to the Spirit's leading. We expect to be led. Uh, um, So Ken mentioned I was a student of his. I am a Christian educator through and through bachelor's master's doctorate in christian education and so i cannot i'm not a preacher i'm a teacher i i I cannot help but think ken has trained me you kind of get to this point and you have to ask the question well so what how do i do this what what do i do with this and and that's what christian educators think so let me give you two things i think that can be really helpful for you okay i want to live in that power i'm going to give you two things that i think you can put into practice one is this pray the scriptures Okay, pray the scriptures. If you don't have a plan right now, I'll encourage you um, tomorrow, start with Mark uh, chapter one, verse one. The gospel of Mark, read the story of the life of Jesus through Mark's lens. Read it slowly and prayerfully. And you'll see right away, Jesus gets to this point of saying this. He announces the kingdom of God, and then he says, repent and believe. So, so pray the scriptures with that in mind. Repent and believe. Uh, one of the ways that you're going to change gears is by letting God renovate your life, showing you what parts of your heart need to be uh, dismantled. Repentance is saying, I'm going to turn a different way. I'm going to stop doing it my way and start doing it God's way. And so as you read through this, let's take, for example, you'll, you'll start the very first verses in Mark chapter one. We'll talk about John the Baptist preparing the way. And you might simply say, Lord, what is in the way of me receiving you and and, and all your power? What have I got in the way? What do I need to clear out of the way? How do I prepare the way to be responsive to you? Read slowly and prayerfully and thoughtfully and let the Spirit speak into your life this. Let the Word inform you. Let the Spirit speak into this. Uh, As you guys begin uh, Daring Hope, you're going to watch a transformation take place, aren't you? A room as it is, or a space as it is, first has to be torn down, and then what's going to be built in its place is going to be amazing, beautiful, uh, innovative, beyond what you have right now. This is what you want to happen in your heart. This is what you want to happen in your life. A renewal day by day of saying, of reading, praying the scriptures, saying, Lord, where, where do I need to uh, dismantle tear down? What do I need to build up? Here's the last thing. Uh, I want to encourage you, write this down. Just write these numbers down. Eight dash 15. Eight dash 15. Bless your eight to 15. Eight to 15. uh, uh, Sociologists tell us this about the rise of Christianity. The rise of Christianity took place predominantly through the influences of ordinary people like you and me, sharing our faith, telling, telling our experience to the people that, we were in, that they were in relationship, friends and family. That hit me so hard. When Andrew and I got a chance to travel uh, earlier, I got to be his plus one. And when we were in places like Ephesus and Corinth, and you kind of saw the majesty and power of the Roman Empire, and then you thought, how did this group of people win out how do they change 
They changed the world, the greatest empire. I mean, I can say this is Italian, right? There's, there's, there's no celebration of the Roman Empire today unless you're going to Olive Garden for lunch, right? There's, a, there's nothing that's really happening for us. Ah, but billions have joined around the altar of Christ today. The influence of ordinary people filled with the Spirit who just cared about the people that were in their place. Andrew shared a story with you guys um, uh, in a sermon previously. You might have remember there's a picture of him praying with his baseball team in high school. He came to me and said, Dad, guys on my team are rough. And I said, well, let's, how about this, Andrew? How about you start praying for them? Every night, start praying for them. This is the little world that God has put you in. And Andrew began praying for them. And then they asked him to pray for them. And then he began to one by one kind of look as God was opening up doors for them to come. I kid you not, um, we averaged about, that was 2013, so about nine years ago, we averaged about five people a year who are still coming to Christ from those prayers. Teammates, siblings, parents. One of my favorite stories, though, um, is the coach. So after Andrew came his brother Trevor, and Trevor had watched Andrew's influence, and Trevor took it right on himself to say, guys, we're going to get together. He began to pray with them. Trevor got to uh, varsity level, and uh, uh, I was walking out to the game one day, and the freshman coach said, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. He goes, we need to talk about God. I'm like, okay. He goes, can I meet with you tomorrow? I thought, man, I'm in trouble. Like, they're mad at our kids for kind of bringing uh, faith into the schools and all that kind of stuff. He sits down with me he, uh, the next day. He goes, okay, I got to know what's going on. I've watched your two boys, and I've watched what's happened. And I've watched what's happened when they are on the teams and they're praying. And I watch what's happening to the people that they're having influence on. He says, I used to think that there was something out there. He says, now I think there's someone out there. Who is he? I want to know. So I got to share with him the story of the gospel and share with it. He goes, I'm in. When can I get baptized? And I was like, okay. I was not expecting this conversation. And so he, he, uh, we arranged it. And it was really cool. So we got a baptistry like this. And I arranged for it. And uh, he walks down. And some of the families from our baseball community wanted to come because they wanted to support Coach Mark. And Mark came down into the tank, and, and I looked at him, and I kind of told the story a little bit. And then I said, I looked at him, and I kind of put my hands there to baptize him. I said, Mark, you're, a little, you're kind of a big guy. Is it okay if I have someone help me baptize you? And he said, yeah, that's okay. And the door opens behind him, and, and all these, a bunch of these kids who were uh, former players of his who had come to Christ walk down in their jerseys and kind of enter into the tank with him, and they all kind of grab around him. And he just starts bawling. He starts crying. He's like, man, this is so cool. And together, me and all these players, we baptize him down and take him up. And I was talking to Mark last Sunday, and I was just kind of watching his interaction with our son, Trevor, and man, Lord, I just don't get tired of seeing this. Your 8 to 15 are the 8 to 15 people that God has supernaturally, strategically put in your life if you just would pay attention to it. it. What if not only you looked at a renewal of your own life every day, but every day you were praying, God, how can I bless those people you've put in my life? If you will just turn on that filter, that let you put, it's like a lens. It's like putting on a, uh, 
a pair of specs here. Oh, wow, I can actually read my paper now. I have 16 font to see what I, I wrote here. But if I put, uh, you see it. Can I invite you, put on lenses. Put on a lens that allows you to see just this group of people in this season of your life who you can have an influence on. As we close, let's close with a, a word of prayer before Paul leads us in a final song. Let me invite you to bow for a moment. If you want that assurance, that sense of, I want to be filled with the Spirit, I want to know, I want to receive God's Spirit, His life, His love, His salvation. Just as you're praying here this moment, take a moment just to, to speak out to Him. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Spirit that your life, your power might be mine now and forever. Christian friend, would you just pray, Lord, fill me again with your spirit. Help me not be afraid of what it is that you want to change in me for my good and my freedom and my life and my peace. Help me to trust where your spirit is leading. Take a second, though, also to think this way. Lord, who have you put in my life in this season? And just ask for his blessing. Lord, would you show me how to walk in the power of your spirit to be a blessing to those people? Almighty God, we thank you once again for the ways in which you uh, reveal to us the life that is found in you. No condemnation, no corruption. Freed, innocent, filled with your presence and your power. Uh, we pray, Lord, um, help us not just be aware of how we can live in the Spirit, um, but we want to be led by your Spirit now. This week, these days, uh, renew our lives and give us the strength to join you in the adventure you have for us. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.